0: You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com.
1: The Word of the Lord from Acts chapter 15, 22 through 41. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them, and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from those, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are now. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The word of God.
0: You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we need you to work in us this morning as we study your word. We believe that your word is authoritative. What we find within its pages, we must obey. We believe that your word is sufficient, that all that you have for us is communicated to us through your word. We also believe that your word is good. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning, that this would not be a mere academic exercise where we fill our minds with information, but we ask that this would be an exercise in transformation. Holy Spirit, change us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we know that happens through the Word, the living, active, powerful Word. So Holy Spirit, work work in our hearts as we behold the glory of Christ in the Word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Navigating difficult circumstances requires humility. We all know this. Whether it's marital conflict, complicated relationships at work, a particularly difficult or strained friendship, or something unexpected and dicey within the church, humility is always the way forward. And this is especially true when we're talking about confusion related to the gospel. Navigating gospel-related confusion requires a special kind of humility. A humility that relies on the Holy Spirit, exalts the person and work of Christ, and prioritizes the spread of the gospel to all people. This kind of gospel-oriented humility runs like a thread through all of chapter 15. Last week, we were introduced to a problem. As Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ, a controversy had arisen, and there was debate about whether a Gentile who embraced Jesus by faith also needed to become circumcised and keep the Mosaic law. In response to this, a council of apostles and elders convened in Jerusalem to prayerfully discuss the matter in hopes of making a unified decision that would provide the early church with gospel clarity. This entire event is marked by tremendous humility. In fact, notice first, A humble decision. A humble decision. Look again at verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. After the Jerusalem council reached a decision, which we'll review in just a moment, the apostles, elders, and the whole church chose two men to travel back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. These two men are Judas and Silas. Both Judas and Silas are gifted and proven ministry leaders referred to in verse 32 as prophets. Now, Why do you think it was necessary for all four of these men to travel back to Antioch? Why did two ministry leaders from the Jerusalem church need to accompany Paul and Barnabas? Two men who were very trusted, who had laid their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. These are men who could be trusted easily, right? Well, here's what I would submit to you. In humility, it's the desire of everyone involved not simply to solve a problem, but the desire is for something more. The aim is that the church of Christ would be strengthened and unified as a result of this difficulty. Reading a letter from the Jerusalem Council would have carried authority. But it would have lacked the kind of shepherding and care that the Gentile Christians in Antioch really needed. So the letter would be read, but then undoubtedly time would be given to answer questions and explain the details of, dis- of the decision in a, a full and helpful manner. You, you see here a desire to shepherd and care for the people of God, not simply to deliver an, an authoritative decision. In fact, this loving approach is explained and modeled in the letter's introduction. Look at verse 23. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions... It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Friends, before the actual decision of the council is announced, the humility of their approach is obvious. This is, not, this is not an edict being delivered to all the ordinary people by distant and disconnected authoritarian leaders. No, this is marked by grace and love. According to verse 28, this decision was the result of a Holy Spirit-led process. In fact, so much so that the text indicates this was actually the decision of the Holy Spirit. Again, this whole process was not carried out by arrogant men relying on their own wisdom. But the Jerusalem Council was a collection of believers desperate for divine wisdom. And this is why they could say to the Gentile believers back in Antioch, That what had been decided was not an additional burden on them, but it would be a blessing to them. Please don't miss the shepherding and care that is present here. Six verses... Six verses are required to lay an intentional and loving framework for understanding the decision of the council, and only one verse is devoted to the actual decision. I think that's so helpful and so instructive for us in the way we should go about interacting with each other. They do finally arrive at the decision in verse 29, and here it is, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The decision of the Jerusalem Council was motivated by a love for the people of God and a desire for clarity and unity. There were two groups of people that were very different, but now they're one in Christ. Right, this is what Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, in light of what we're studying here in Acts, listen to this text of Scripture Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, friends, the challenging question in this early stage of the church is how does something that is theologically true become experientially true as well? Sure, Jew and Gentile are one in Christ, equal members of the household of God. This is a glorious theological reality. But we know from our study already that what is true theologically has not been true experientially. By and large, Jews and Gentiles are not worshiping together as equal members of Christ's body, walking together in unity. So what needs to happen? What's missing? The theology has been explained. But what's missing in the early church is what's missing in most churches today. Humility. Humility. the kind of gospel-shaped humility that isn't just talked about, but it actually shows up in our actions. When Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he's compelling them to walk together in unity, what does he say? So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing. Do nothing. the glory of God the Father. As Paul points us to the humility of Christ, one thing is obvious. True humility produces action. True humility produces action. How do we know Christ was humble? It's not simply because we're told. But he emptied himself. By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His humility produced action. How can you know if you're growing in humility? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Brothers and sisters, what is theologically true, because we have been joined together in Christ, will only become experientially true as each of us walks in humility with one another. Unity requires humility. And this is at the very heart of what the Jerusalem Council calls the Gentiles to in Acts 15, verse 29. I want you to hear what theologian David Peterson writes about this. The Jerusalem Council acknowledged that Gentile Christians were not obligated to live under the yoke of the law. At the same time, it challenged them to exercise their liberty with wisdom, restraint, and love, recognizing the concerns of some Jewish Christians about contamination through any association with idolatrous practices. In other words, for the sake of unity, the Gentile believers are called to exercise humility. Remember verse 28. The Gentiles were told that the decision of the council was not a burden, but it was a requirement. That might create a little bit of tension in our minds. But you see, friends, loving your fellow brother or sister in Christ even when it's difficult for you and means some measure of sacrifice for you, when you know it is serving them, that your sacrifice is a sacrifice of love, this is not a burden. Redeemer in Christ, God has united us together no matter our ethnicity, income level or marital status, no matter our musical preferences or what schooling option we have chosen for our children, no matter our political party or particular theological persuasion God has gathered us through his son into one new family, and now our task is to walk in humility so that what is true theologically will become increasingly true experientially. A humble decision leads to a humble reception. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. When the decision is read, the Gentile believers receive it. They do so with joy. They found the letter profoundly encouraging. Gave them a, a clear way forward. I think it's instructive for us that their response was not to focus on what they had to give up, But they were focused on what they would gain. And what is it that they would gain? Well, they would gain renewed and sweet fellowship in Christ with their Jewish brothers and sisters. What a blessing that would be. I want to quickly point out that both Judas and Silas and Paul and Barnabas, after reading the letter, spent significant time with the Gentile believers, making sure they understood what was happening. Remember, uh, these are relatively new believers, each one now being called to take on the role of the stronger and more mature Christian, limiting their freedom in Christ for the sake of their Jewish brothers and sisters. So what is required for them in receiving this letter is Humility. Certainly, they, they would have had questions. So help us understand. How did you come to this decision? How will this work? What, what about if this happens? And so these men stayed and said, well, let's walk you through this. Let's answer your questions. Let's bring you toward a point where you understand exactly what God is calling you to do. This little snapshot in verses 30 through 35 is a brief but necessary reminder That the chief task of church leaders is to glorify God by faithfully shepherding the flock. Judas, Silas, Paul, and Barnabas weren't interested in, in ticking a box and moving on to bigger and better things. No, they committed themselves to patient teaching and persistent care. Shepherding the people of God was not an unwelcomed interruption, but it was the very essence of their calling. A humble decision leads to a humble reception. And finally, I want you to see a humble separation. A humble separation. Look at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. After Judas and Silas departed and Paul and Barnabas believed their work in Antioch was done, Paul suggested that he and Barnabas go back and visit all the places where they had proclaimed the gospel during this first missionary journey. Now, let me just say again, don't miss the level of care and concern Paul and Barnabas had for the health of all the local churches God had sovereignly established. Again, there's a little reminder for, for us here. And it's not just for those in leadership positions. But this should remind every member of Redeemer that we should all be concerned about the health of every gospel-preaching church, not just our own. You should regularly be praying for other gospel-preaching churches. We're trying to model that better as elders during our pastoral prayers, preaching by, or praying by name for other churches. We want the gospel to flourish not just within this Church and through this church, but in all gospel-preaching churches. It appears that Barnabas liked Paul's idea for a sort of encouragement tour, returning to the cities they had already visited. But notice what happens in verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Why don't you flip back quickly to Acts chapter 13 and look at verse 13. The text says, Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Acts 13, 13 records without any detail that John left Paul's ministry team and went back to Jerusalem. It isn't until we reach chapter 15 in our text this morning that some additional light is shed on John Mark's departure. We don't know why he left and went back to Jerusalem. But whatever the reason, we find out in chapter 15 that it did not sit well with the old apostle Paul. Now, I think we can imagine a likely scenario based on what the book of Acts has revealed about Paul and Barnabas, and I don't know if this is exactly what took place, but it seems likely that it was something like this, right? We've seen throughout this book, there are very differing personalities between Paul and Barnabas. What is Barnabas called? The son of encouragement. What do we know about Paul? Well, he is a relentless and bold witness for Jesus. In fact, as we've studied Acts, we've encountered a lot more people that want to kill Paul than Barnabas. But both are commended for their fervent love for Christ and his church. So imagine this scene. Paul suggests a return visit to the cities they have already ministered in, and Barnabas the encourager immediately thinks about John Mark, right? Because he's always thinking about other people, always thinking about how he can be an encouragement. Barnabas knows John Mark's heart for Christ, and he wants to be an encouragement. So what better way than to invite John Mark along for the ride? So Barnabas says to Paul, hey, Paul, let's give John Mark a second chance. I think this will be the perfect opportunity. He'll do great this time. Paul immediately responds by saying, no, Barnabas. Last time we invited John Mark, he couldn't hack it. The work was too hard, and the days were too long, and the opposition was too strong, and he bailed on us. I can't trust him. Now, obviously, Barnabas didn't back down. He strongly believed that John Mark should be given a second chance, and in turn, Paul didn't back down, believing that John Mark would be more of a hindrance than a help. So notice how Luke describes what took place between these two mature servants of Christ. Verse 39. and There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So brothers and sisters, who was right? Paul or Barnabas? the text doesn't say. Do you know why? Because sometimes disagreements happen within the body of Christ and it's not black and white. To be clear, Paul and Barnabas are not disagreeing over the nature of justification by faith. But this is something they both felt strongly about. They felt so strongly that they were willing to separate from each other. Now, thankfully, we find out later in the New Testament that their separation wasn't permanent. In First Corinthians 16, 9, it refers to them as ministry colleagues again. In fact, we also find out in Colossians, Philemon, and 2 Timothy that Paul ministered alongside John Mark as well. Friends, I want to bring this to a close, but But let me give you three takeaways from this final disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Number one, understand that under the kind providence of God, the church needs Paul's and Barnabas's. The church will be a healthier place when both are present and can walk together in unity. So some of you are patient encouragers who are quick to give second chances. And some of you are passionate missionaries who want to relentlessly pursue the lost and you don't want anything or anyone to compromise or hinder the work of the gospel. You know what? I'm profoundly grateful for both of you. And I hope God keeps our Pauls and our Barnabases together here at Redeemer. I believe we will be better and more effective if that's the case. Number two, realize that not every disagreement within the church is going to fit into neat and tidy categories of clearly right or clearly wrong. In fact, sometimes really godly men and women that you really respect will stand on opposite sides of an issue or a decision. Again, we're not talking about issues of core gospel doctrine, but something like what we find in Acts 15, Brothers and sisters, this kind of disagreement will happen because it has always happened. If it can happen to Paul and Barnabas, it will certainly happen to some of us. So here's my advice when something like this does take place: don't freak out. Don't freak out. Be slow to take a side. And put your confidence in Jesus. Because he alone is always right. Third, remember that God brings eternal good out of circumstances that we see as confusing and even painful. Paul and Barnabas were real people, leaders in the church who had a life-shaping influence on loads of early Christians. I imagine... I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that tears were shed when people heard about their disagreement. I mean, think about those conversations. Someone's talking about the profound influence that Barnabas has had on their life and has Paul has inspired them to passionately preach the gospel. And someone says, well, have you heard what happened? They're not even traveling in ministry together anymore. I imagine that people were confused, that the faith of some was shaken. But brothers and sisters, God took a painful and confusing separation and what did he do? He doubled his number of missionary teams. Look at verse 39 again. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What'd they do? They they split up responsibilities and they visited different churches, accomplishing the same purpose. If there has been a theme in these first 15 chapters of Acts, it has to be this. The gospel cannot be stopped. Right? Think about everything that's happened in these first 15 chapters, and it kind of culminates with this separation of two godly leaders. But does this stop or impede the spread of the gospel? Nope. In fact, in some way, it, it enhances it. Brothers and sisters, God is unquestionably and absolutely sovereign. And his redemptive work will advance through the bold witness of ordinary Christians until people from every tribe, tongue, and nation have been rescued from their sin by the victorious and risen Lamb of God. As we push the pause button, in our study through Acts, I want, I want to leave you with that. Go in boldness. Go in confidence. The gospel can't be stopped. I was reminded of that this week as Karen and I are relatively new to the neighborhood where we live and some friends came by, some neighbors came by and invited us to their annual 4th of July cookout. We've been longing for an opportunity to get to know our neighbors and praying for an opportunity. And so God brought our neighbors to our door, invited us to. So, so here we were on the 4th of July, sitting in the backyard with about six different families, only a couple that we had met before. And I'm sitting next to a, a man who is from, um, who is, who is from Asia and we're talking and they've lived now in Minnesota for 25 years and he asked me so what do you do well i'm I'm glad you ask i said i serve as a pastor of a bible church in minnetonka and he said oh my my brother serves as an anglican priest in our hometown and this led into about a 45-minute conversation about his brother's ministry and our church and, and ultimately led even to a brief conversation about the gospel. And I was marveling at that. I had no plans to have that conversation on July 4th with someone I had never met. But yet, this is what God is doing. He's orchestrating meetings and conversations like these, and He's doing it for all of us. We just need to be looking for them, ready and willing to engage in those conversations, praying and asking God to bring those people into our path. And then our job is not to sovereignly orchestrate their conversion. It's just to be a faithful witness. And then watch God sovereignly work for the glory of his name and for the eternal joy of those we come in contact with. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that your word puts before our eyes. Thank you for the early church. Not just because we read the story of the early church in the book of Acts and were instructed and helped, but, but thank you for, for pulling us into this story. The story that we're part of right now. As you are continuing to build your church, as you're continuing to to draw to yourself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation as you're continuing to do that in our own neighborhoods in Minnesota. Thank you, Father, that by your grace, when you called us to redemption, you engaged us in your redemptive mission. That you did not simply save us for our own benefit. But you have blessed us to be a blessing. I pray that this series in Acts through week after week opening your living and active word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you have Changed us, changed our thinking, changed our desires, changed our passions, retooled our schedules so that we would engage more in mission. This is why we exist. We exist. We are breathing this morning to make much of Jesus in our families in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. So give us the boldness, Holy Spirit, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.